Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're concluding our series, Finding Forgiveness for the Worst of Sins, as we turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 32, verse 6 to 11, with a message Dr. Newfeld is entitled, Wisdom for the Penitent. What a freedom there is in the regular and even daily confession of sins. Some time ago, I had a discussion with an atheistic psychologist. She told me that there was something unhealthy about Christians always talking about sin, she said, and confessing their sins. And I responded by saying there's something unhealthy about lying to ourselves and refusing to acknowledge our sin. What liberty there is in finally being honest about sin. It was an interesting conversation, and like a lot of those kinds of conversations, this one ended without a resolution. But it did get me thinking. You know, I find it alarming how often I hear even Christians seeming to agree with this atheistic psychologist. You know, for one, I've noticed that, that I, and by the way, I'm too to blame for this, but I've noticed that the practice of weekly confession of sin has been neglected in our public worship services. And also, probably because of that, so also the regular daily practice of confession in our own devotions has also been neglected. So it seems to me that we need a revival of the spiritual discipline of the confession of sin. Now, of course, not everyone agrees with me on this. You know, every once in a while, I'll hear a Christian teacher speak against the confession of sin. And often it begins with a misuse of the Bible. And so, as an example... 2 Corinthians 5.17 is is sometimes pressed into service. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, I'll hear people say, I was once a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. And by that, they mean that all things are now made new, and that must mean that sin is no longer present in me. I watched a video some time ago in which a man said that he had lustful thoughts, and then he added, well, I know that couldn't have come from me. After all, he said, I'm a new creature in Christ. And clearly, this came from the devil, he proudly pronounced. Now, of course, this man had not done a study of what the New Testament teaches about the flesh. Christians are no longer to live according to the flesh. That's what Romans 8.13 warns. There's always the danger that the flesh will want to rule us again. The biblical view is that once we are born again, we've received a new heart, a new inclination to love the things of God above all other things. But the flesh remains a constant struggle. And so we have to set our minds on the things above and not on the flesh. That means we have to sow in the spirit and starve out the flesh. This is the struggle of every single believer, but we do not struggle on our own strength, but by the strength that the Holy Spirit provides, learning to walk in the Spirit. But we all still sin. 1 John 1.8 reminds Christians that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then two verses later, in 1 John 1 verse 10, we're told that if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. And so Christians are bid to do two things. One, continue to fight the inclinations of the flesh through the power that's given us by the Spirit of God. And second, we must learn to make a regular practice of confessing our sins, even being aware of our sins, and ever laying them in humility before our God, seeking for His grace. 
So to those who say, we don't need to confess our sins, I respond in two ways. First of all, notice that the Bible tells Christians to confess their sins regularly. Jesus taught us to pray that way when he taught us in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us that we should pray as we pray, forgive us our trespasses. Confession of sins is a part of the prayer life of every believer. We need to confess to God all known sins that we have committed, bring them before his throne, own them thoroughly, renounce them utterly, ask our God to forgive us and cleanse our hearts to do his will. Second, added to that thought, James goes even further and tells us in James 5, verse 16, to confess our sins to one another. And then he gives us the reason that you may be healed, he says. In other words, our silence is destroying us. It destroys the relationships between believers. If we've done evil against another believer, we should not call that person with false motives. Don't say, you know, I'm sorry you felt wounded. That's not a humble thing to say. That's condescending. It suggests that they, rather than our sins, are responsible for the division. Those of us who sin against another must take the initiative. The person who is wounded needs only to forgive, but the one who did the wounding must humble himself or herself and confess of the harm that they have done and the wickedness they have brought about. When we keep silent, like David, our bones waste away. Now, we've been studying Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Both Psalms are a response to David's sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, against Israel, but ultimately, and most importantly, it's his sin against God. And so today, we're going to finish up our study of Psalm 32. The first five verses are David's counsel that we do not cover up our sin, but rather confess them. Furthermore, David says that when we uncover our sins in his grace, God covers our sins with his mercy. Now, from that encouragement, we need to make confession of sins a regular discipline in our lives. David now offers four pieces of wisdom to help us see the advantage of the daily discipline of confession. Here's now the first piece of wisdom. Confession of your sin will not destroy you. Indeed, if you make a practice of confessing sin, God will move in to protect you. Let's read Psalm 32, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, please remember, as we work our way through this psalm, that the theme of this psalm is the joy that is given to the man or woman who is not silent about their sin, but rather confesses their sin and finds that their transgression is forgiven by God. And so since that is the theme, when David writes, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you, he is referring to the prayer of confession, the the prayer of repentance. He has a very specific prayer in mind. Now, before dealing with the details of what David has in mind, let me deal with a practical matter. Should Christians confess all of their sins publicly? And to that I answer, no. Indeed, the sins that we confess to others should be those sins in which we have done harm to others. As an example, let's assume a man confesses before God that he had lustful thoughts toward a specific woman. Should he confess that to that woman? Well, the answer is, of course not. To do so would be unrighteous, probably egotistical, and harmful. 
This man might confess it to a godly pastor or a godly helpful male mentor, but this kind of confession is done to God alone. We might make others aware so that they might help us in our purity, but that's where it ends. But let's say one believer slanders another believer and the matter becomes well known and the matter brings harm to the person being slandered. Should we then publicly confess that? And the answer is yes, because the matter was done in public. This is the pattern of our confession. And indeed, that is precisely what David did in his sin with Bathsheba, because as king of Israel, his sin affected everyone. He confessed to God, but he did not hide his sin from Israel. And that's the principle. But in Psalm 32, verse 6, David has in mind the prayer of repentance before God. He commends that all who are godly to offer a prayer of repentance, and then he adds, at a time when you may be found. So what does he have in mind? Well, Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. See, there is a time when God woos us to repent, when his presence pricks our conscience. If we do not do it then. We will most likely not do it later. There comes a time when it may be too late. And so in the throes of conviction, when God is to be found, offer to God your full confession and repentance. And with that command comes the promise. The rush of great waters will not reach you. You can hide in God, for God will protect you. See, the chief reason that many of us remain silent is to protect our dignity. But in this, of course, we're using deceit. Each of us wants to pretend we're more spiritual than we actually are. Confession requires faith because we need to believe that God will do what he has promised, that in my confession, he will be my hiding place. He will surround me with shouts of deliverance. He will protect me when I have no other protector. You and I need to have faith to believe exactly that. Now, trouble can be God's protective agent. He can send trouble to establish us. But please listen to David's words. There was a time in David's life as king that people thought he could do no wrong. Then people found out what a terrible sinner he was. And then David found out that God was his hiding place. You and I will find the same. Laugh Again with Phil Calloway will be celebrating its fifth anniversary in 2019. One way we'll be doing that is by inviting you to join us for the Laugh Again fifth anniversary Caribbean cruise aboard the Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas. From February 3rd to 10th, join us for a week of laughter, fellowship, and spiritual refreshment. Enjoy music and worship with our special musical guests and morning devotions with Isaac Dagno, leader of In Doubt Ministries. Is it time for a family vacation, a getaway with friends, or time to simply kick back and enjoy all the sights and sounds of the Caribbean? Well, join Phil Calloway and friends this coming February 3rd to 10th for a vacation of a lifetime. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or check out laughagain.ca. Laugh Again, truth bringing laughter to life. We've been talking about the benefits of making a regular pattern in our lives of the confession of sin, and that we've done from Psalm 32. We've noticed that David has given us four benefits to confessing sin. The first is that you confess your sin and that confession will not destroy you. 
Indeed, if you make a practice of confessing sin, God will move to protect you. Here now is the second piece of wisdom about confessing sin. Never delay your confession until you're forced into it. That's not wise. Let's read Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Do you know what God has to do with his children who are wayward? He treats them like a rider of a self-willed horse. He hauls hard on the bridle. Now, if you've ever watched a horse and a rider, you'll know that a horse may want to go in one direction, but a hard pull on the bridle turns its head, and then the horse has no choice. It's forced into a new direction. Now, we can only imagine how much more that is true for mules, for mules have a reputation of being stubborn. Now, with that in mind, go back to verse 8. The second line reads, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, here I think David is repeating words for God. It is God that is speaking to us. He has his eye on us. Now, imagine a teacher in a classroom giving a student an instruction and then adds, you know, I'm going to be watching you. That can be said as an encouragement or it can be said as a warning. You know, it's encouraging if that student wants to carry out the teacher's instruction. I remember when I was working on my doctorate, my mentor was watching, always giving helpful suggestions, directing the course of my studies so that I would pass. And I was so grateful. But let's say a student is rebelling. There the teacher says, I'm going to be watching, and it sounds ominous. So how are the words intended in verse 8? In David's experience in relation to the sin with Bathsheba, it was clearly the ominous kind of watching. When the prophet Nathan came to David, David was to find out that his secret sin was no secret to God. And suddenly, like a horse with a bridle in his mouth, determined to go in one direction, God pulled hard on David's rein and his head snapped around and he was forced in another direction. And that's exactly what happens when we're caught in our sins. Let me give you a piece of counsel from two adulterous Christian leaders. The incidents that I'm about to describe happened some time ago and were very well known at the time in which they happened, but I've decided not to mention their names, but the the situation I describe is completely true. One man, I call him sinner number one, was a televangelist. He was well known all throughout North America and South America. When he was caught visiting a prostitute, he made headline news in every major news outlet throughout all of the Americas. He was ashamed, and the name of Jesus was mocked and slandered because of him. And the other, sinner number two, was a well-known pastor, and he was the author of numerous books eagerly read by many. And he, like sinner number one, also had an adulterous affair. But sinner number two called a meeting of the elders in his church on his own initiative. Prior to that meeting, he had already met with his wife and told her everything. And then with his wife present, He explained to his elders what he had done. And I suppose I need to add here that sinner number two did this at a time when it seemed like no one would ever have known about that act of adultery. He could have remained silent, and perhaps in this life, that sin would have gone undetected. But that was unacceptable to sinner number two. He just couldn't remain silent. He had decided that he would remain near the Lord without the Lord having to pull hard on the bridle. He would take the initiative, and as he did, he offered his resignation and his profound grief at breaking of his wedding vows and the sin that he had done against God. 
And the net effect of sinner number two was overwhelmingly positive. His influence did diminish for a time, but not in a way that brought disgrace to our Lord. Indeed, his willingness to abide in holiness allowed the Lord to be his hiding place. And God surrounded his sinning and repentant servant with shouts of deliverance. How blessed he was, how at peace was his soul, how surrounded he was with those who loved him as they cared for him. Indeed, how his life gave encouragement to others to both be faithful to their wedding vows and to confess their sins with boldness. And so two pieces of wisdom. First, be assured that confession of sins will not destroy you. And second, never delay your confession. Here now is David's third piece of wisdom. Avoid the sorrows of an unconfessed sin. Let's read what David says in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. It's hard not to notice something at this moment. Psalm 32 begins with a note of joy. Blessed is the man, it said, whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How satisfied, how filled with peace and and happiness are those who have been forgiven. And now as we come to the second last verse in this psalm, we repeat this theme of joy. The steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts God in the midst of his or her confession of sin. See, on the other hand, it is the wicked. It's the ones who by their own impenitent and unrepentant heart refuse to be led to the grace of repentance who are filled with sorrows and regrets. There's something that I believe is even psychologically damaging to the person who never expresses genuine ownership of their sin and sorrow for it and then confesses and turns from it. Do you remember what David said in Psalm 51 verse 13? Shortly after his sin and his confession of it, he made a vow to God. He said, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And this is what he's doing here in Psalm 32. David is telling all of us, that the reason why some of us have many sorrows and that sadness has never left our lives is because of this very thing. One sin compiles on top of another. None are acknowledged. All are simply passed over. We assure ourselves that confession is not necessary and that we are never identified with our sin. How deeply discouraging that becomes to allow this uncleanness to always remain there. Years ago, I I remember getting a letter from a young woman. I had a role in her life in bringing her to Christ. She used to work in the bush in northern British Columbia in the logging industry. She said that when it was wet, as the day wore on, the mud would stick to your boots, and they would get progressively heavier as the day went on. And when the day was done, and she took those boots off, she said she could feel as if she was almost flying. That's how light she would feel on her feet. And she told me that's how her conversion felt as she confessed her sins and heard that in Christ, God had nailed the record of her debt to the cross of his own dear son. Indeed, I've never forgotten her excellent illustration of of that glorious truth. But as I think about it, I think that some of us have allowed our sins after conversion to be exactly as she has described. That doesn't mean we need to get saved again, but it does mean that God has designed daily confession to be a daily cleansing so that sorrows do not overwhelm our souls. And so David has given us four pieces of wisdom regarding confession. First, trust God to protect you as you confess your sins. Second, don't wait until you're caught. 
Third, avoid the sorrow of unconfessed sin. And fourth and finally, be always motivated by the promises of joy. Verse 11 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So who are the righteous that David speaks about? Well, in the context of this psalm, they are not the ones who have never done anything wrong or or the ones who have never sinned. The righteous are those who have been forgiven. Can't you see that? They are those whose sins are covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity against their record. And that, my dear friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about being good enough. It's about finding that Christ is good enough and that we have found forgiveness and acceptance in what he has done. Now, those who have been forgiven are given a command. Be glad. Rejoice. Shout for joy. Don't you hide your pleasure. And why should we hide our pleasure? For the God who knows us entirely has made us acceptable in his presence. We are the people of God, not the perfect ones, but we are the ones who have known and experienced the mercy and the everlasting kindness of our God. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of your people who are listening. Father, I pray for those especially who have tried to hide their sin, and I pray that what has been said in this psalm will convince them to do what David has done, to confess our sins before you so that we might be healed. To you be all the glory, Father. Restore our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. John, I know that it's important for me to ask forgiveness for the sins that I commit. Uh, But for someone who doesn't know their spiritual walk that well, perhaps, how much further back do I have to go in seeking forgiveness? How much do I have to dig up? Yeah, I know that's such an important question because sometimes, Ben, when we find someone that we've sinned against, when we go to them and acknowledge that we've sinned against them and and clearly confess, we can release that person from their bitterness and set them free. So it can be a huge gift that we give. On the other hand, let me say that it is important for us not to become obsessive. And by obsessive, I mean that we begin to imagine slight hurts that we've done, or I don't know whether you've ever had this experience, someone will come and say, I'm so sorry I did whatever they did, and I don't remember it. And uh, that happens on occasion. And I walk away saying, I wonder what that was all about. Should I feel offended? So, you know, some balance is required. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. This month, Dr. John Newfell will be teaching his new 20-message series on the book of James, Faith That Works. The book of James stands out as unique, sometimes controversial, but in the end it provides truth and instruction critical for the Christian how to stand up under trials and temptations, issues of the tongue preventing division, the hazards of money, the importance of prayer. So join us for this insightful series. And remember, the series is available on CD this month at the feature price of $18, including shipping and taxes. But you can also listen online, podcast, or listen to all the Bible teaching programs as they're released by downloading the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. So to receive James' Faith That Works on CD at the feature price of $18, which includes shipping and taxes, visit us online at backtothebible.ca 
or call us at 1-800-663-2425.